Welcome to Art Worlds with me, Dr. Cleo Roberts Comoretti. This is the podcast that tells you all about the art worlds you might have missed. We're going to journey around the globe and talk to artists, patrons and curators from Cambodia to the Democratic Republic of Congo. With this, we'll build a truly international perspective of the many thriving art worlds. Algeria, a North African country stretching along the Mediterranean coast south to the searing Sahara Desert, sits between Tunisia and Libya in the east, Nigeria, Mali and Mauritania in the south, and Morocco and Western Sahara in the west. The country, a bedrock of the Roman Empire with a history of Arab and Islamic influence, has been subject to Ottoman rule and French imperialism. Following a fierce and vicious war of independence that lasted over seven years, between 1954 to 1962, the country declared its independence after 132 years of French occupation. The country's arts were profoundly affected and undermined by its political character, and subsequent periods of instability have followed in the post-colonial period. Artists have explored this uprooting, the denial of their identity and what it means to be Algerian, whether living in the country or abroad. Opportunities for artists in Algeria have been challenging, with scant political interest in arts and culture. But with recent young project spaces and galleries emerging, there's a sense of energy and optimism for Algeria's contemporary artists. Miriam Amrun and Khaled Bouzidi established Rhizome, an arts organisation, in 2017. Their model has developed, and now with a space in a Hausmannian apartment block in downtown Algiers, their model combines both being a commercial gallery with being an independent art entity. Rhizome's programming focuses on supporting artists in Algeria and its diaspora, with emphasis on intergenerational exchange. They've had a busy year, showing at Art Dubai, List Art Fair Basel and Paris International, among others. Miriam and Khaled joined me from their space to discuss the challenges they've encountered and their long-term ambitions. Rhizome has connotations of a spreading, non-hierarchical network, and the project is both a gallery and an art organisation. Can you tell us more about the decision to take this form and why it might be suited to the Algerian context? Yeah, so, yeah, um, Rhizome as an organisation exists since um, 2017, um, but... uh, both the founders, Miriam and I, um, were working in collectives um, before that, um, within the Algerian context, but also in the Mediterranean. And uh, the reason behind um, this form of existence um, now is um, due to the to the to the history of the the, the development of the, the organization itself. Um, as I said, we started as a collective and then um, when we wanted to have a, a legal form of the organization, um, the only suited um, of legal form was to create a company in Algeria as the association law was quite restrictive and is still. Um, 
And then our core work made us think about how to sustain ourselves as an organization. And then our work with the artists um, has uh, led us, I would say, um, to think about how to sustain the artists also that we work with, which um, brought us actually to the form of a gallery. But when we think about a gallery ourselves as Visum, we don't think about it as the commercial Western um, sense or model of a commercial gallery. Most of the sales we make are uh, re-injected in a way into the, the, the organization. And that does lead to something that I'm really interested in. And with these two sides of the enterprise, I assume that you're navigating two different funding models. And so how do you negotiate that and also engage with the international art market? Yes. Like as far as I was saying before, we have a model um, that is kind of looking like a non-profit organization, but like due to the legal form that we had to adopt, um, we had to find like an alternative uh, way of functioning. So now we have two parts. Prism is one um, institution. But like we have thought that like dividing it into two parts, like the gallery, which is the commercial part, and the nonprofit uh, like side, could help like allow us to um, become and be independent on the maybe midterm. Because like for the commercial actions, like we have um, the um, artwork selling artist management and representation, and also we work on the logistics related to, to uh, transportation insurances of uh, artworks. So for instance, we have worked on two um, important projects last year, which is uh, which are Berzakh, uh, the show of Lidia Rahman, during which we have uh, transported like more than 5,000 items, uh, composing her apartment from Algiers to uh, Marseille and Balf. Prior to Rhizome, you worked on festivals around Algiers that took up interesting spaces like garages. How does the city operate in relation to the visual arts? Is it hospitable? Yes. Um, I think that if we come back to the cases of Jared and Madara, like the kind of art that was displayed or shown or with the... the, the the disciplines that we have been working on were quite different of what we are doing now because it was mainly street art and urban arts, which are accessible. Like, I think that maybe there is one important part to mention is that before Draft and Madrid, we have worked on a long uh, research on fields, like talking to people and like trying to understand their expectations and understanding of what is art and what is culture. So most of them were saying like, um, we cannot go to galleries or uh, museums because they are two white cubes and kind of intimidating, not uh, inviting somehow. And those are to, uh, are, are mainly for um, maybe public institutions. Because if we talk about private spaces, they are like poor, um, so like, I don't know if it's the right word, uh, cozy, inviting. Uh, yeah, more rooted also, I would say, um, in their, um, I mean, and then in their areas, in their um, and yeah. human-scaled also spaces, no. so people can feel like they are, they belong to 
a limited space or um, mm -hmm. a cocoon, if you want, where they know other people mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, and actually even, um, I mean, you mentioned those two festivals, um, because also Al Madrab was, um, I mean, was a kind of response to the state um, about building, you know, huge infrastructures. Um, and yeah, very costly infrastructures that um, that people would, I mean, first the, the art world, but also people would not necessarily need. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we saw the, the, the building of the, I mean, it's not individual art, but the, the opera uh, in Algeria, where I think um, Algeria has no a culture of opera. Um, and um, I mean, same, I would say, for the Museum of um, Contemporary Art that is now closed. Um, I mean, there is this culture of, you know, building um, new big infrastructure and it's discussed, I mean, um, it's a tradition in Algeria, you know, of uh, post-independence that's building new, you know, um, new things for the population, but then uh, without questioning, um, without asking the, those people who would need this kind of infrastructure. And yeah, so Al Madrab was there to say, um, okay, we can use uh, what we already have. Um, you know, um, the, 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 the buildings were used, were mostly um, um, in used hangars. Maybe it's uh, important to explain a bit like what was going in that uh, neighborhood. Yeah, Al Hamma like, <laughs> is a very important district in Algeria. Algiers, I could say. Um, it was like part of the um, industrial uh, revolution. Many of the uh, personalities uh, that contributed to major um, sectors in, Alger in Algeria as, as a whole were born. But like since few years, the whole uh, neighborhood is going through a, a very intense and kind of twisted gentrification process. So people are being moved to dormitory um, uh, like neighborhoods. They are called like this because no infrastructure is available there. You have like just only like only huge buildings and people packed inside. So um, it creates a lot of social tensions and conflict because also like they don't move the whole uh, neighborhood there, but like they, they bring people like from all over the uh, uh, the city. So they don't know each other. They don't have the same codes or uh, ways of being. If you if you want like. So, yes, uh, during the Madrid, so we, had, we tried to, um, to look into what is available as uh, spaces, like many warehouses and abandoned spaces that were not used, and try to create this relationship with the uh, people of the neighborhood and understand like, what is or what are the, their struggles. And that lasted for like eight months on like, discussions, research, uh, going through the whole neighborhood again and again and again. And in the end, we have come up with that, no, came to that to the conclusion that we would create or um, simulate something like a human scale uh, experience to show to the state that it's, pos it's possible to... Advocacy. Advocacy, yeah. To <laughs> advocacy to... Um, show and explain like to the state that it's possible to create such um, spaces without much of um, means and to 
have like a really human dynamic. How has that advocacy worked? Do you see people in the government understanding more the model you're trying to propose? Um, I mean, it's quite complicated to measure um, like efficiently uh, how this process worked. Uh, I mean, what we noticed is the, I mean, there, there were two things that helped um, in this um, in this question. The fact that, the, I mean, the Ministry of Culture um, is mostly the, the only regulator and entrepreneur in the country. Like the, the, the state is the, is the initiator of, of, of most of the activity, the, the cultural action, I would say, in, in the country. And um, it's important to mention that the budget of the Ministry of Culture um, has actually <laughs> decreased of, I don't recall, like 50% from in, in the last six years. Maybe the drop is higher now. Yeah, and the drop must be higher now uh, because of the crisis. And that led the Ministry of Culture to think about alternative ways of generating uh, income. And that actually led the, the state to rethink about all the buildings, for example, they have um, that they, they could, you know, um, rent to, to the private sector, um, that they could <clears throat> That they could manage uh, on their behalf. Um, I mean, the law is is there, uh, but I think because of the crisis, it's it's a bit slowed down. Uh, but I'm sure. Um, I mean, in the in the next few years, um, when the, the the pandemic hopefully is over, um, we will see more concrete examples of how the states. Uh, had reacted to that. I'm not saying that uh, Madhurab or Jared um, directly influenced that, but I mean, it led a certain reflection um, at the state level to, to think about this kind of alternatives. You recently presented an exhibition called Untold, and that looked at violence faced by women in Algeria. And I wanted to ask you about what other stories and things you feel need to be told about the country and what you're working on? Yeah, I think that for Untold, like there were two important um, components. The first one is the psychological uh, side of what violence uh, generates or what is the print of uh, violence on a, on a woman. And the second component is to show another face or another um, like all the images of how violence towards women is uh, is represented, because like usually uh, whoever like we can ask whoever we want how they see like a representation of violence, they all just say uh, like bruises and uh, like blood or something. But like on this part, uh, we have worked on what is not seen. Uh, and this is what it was called and told, like what, not is, what is not seen, what is not um, said, like in public or within a family or like with family or friends. Because I think that in Algeria, there is like a huge taboo on the uh, psychological uh, issues or mental health that one person might have. And like, it's not taken seriously nor like understood, I think. So maybe like for the next chapter, 
it would be more related to uh, what is ha currently happening like for the whole country. Like we are like <laughs> uh, an open sky yeah, psychiatric hospital because I don't know if you are a bit aware of what is happening like uh, now. Like we are kind of going through a psychological war or constraint. Daily, our basic, um, our basic needs are not fulfilled, if you want. Like in the morning, you want to have to take a shower, there's no water like uh, in the tap, up in the tap, and you don't know when you will have water. Like, so this influences like more or has impact on your daily schedule because sometimes like you have to wake up at 5 or 6 a.m just to fill the um, tank yes sometimes like you are you're ready about to get out and you have meat but like at the moment you are reaching out the door uh you hear the water coming so you have to run and it it might it might seem really like foolish like foolish or but like it has a very very um it's really heavy to have to, to have this on a daily basis and like what are the consequences of having like so much going on like it's like you feel um destroyed as a human being like i think that we can talk about it like we have been, like we have been into a very oh going through a very down period like as uh, as persons individuals and that impacted somehow like the way we were working because it was a constant struggle like you do, you work you you try to do what like whatever you can to be productive or um, have your collaborators being engaged but the challenge is that everybody's depressed some like plus the pandemic like when you manage to have uh, together all the factors like one person is dead one one is um, uh, is sick uh, the other one is not in the like you know and yeah but I think you in your work have a very strong sense of optimism and mm -hmm. one of the things you're doing is this educational side to your programming and you've started I noted recently on your Instagram, like calls for art criticism and you're doing open calls for artists. So are you positive that there are going to be opportunities in the future and that the arts will, for want of a better word, become professionalized or more professionalized? I mean, if you look just um, at the, our name as reason we cannot exist, I mean, just, you know, just as a, a piece in in the, in the ocean. Um, the idea is um, to to evolve together as um, as different uh, partners that could change something in in the in the art world, and that could happen only if we could all be in a way in on the same page, and. Um, that goes through um, those kind of trainings, uh, but also um, partnerships, uh, collaborations. Um, so yeah, that's what that's how actually we came up with the with the with the idea of um, making trainings uh, for uh, for people. And also, maybe like it's like a win-win deal. Like we 
trainings because uh, as an institution, we need people who are skilled and professional in some specific uh, topics. Mm -hmm. And on this other hand, like those collaborators that are being trained uh, would like, it's not, not giving back, but like we have at least um, a basis on which we could uh, work. Like, mm -hmm. For instance, like we cannot have um, writings on um, on an exhibition if we don't we do not have art uh, critics. We can have like mediation programs if we do not have like art mediators. So like we cannot do everything by ourselves. And like people, we, like we need people to progress. And yeah, that's it. Thank you to Miriam and Khaled. It's really great to hear about all the naughtiness around setting up such a space. If you enjoyed what you heard, do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review if you can. In the show notes, you'll find a number of places where you can learn more about Rhizome and the projects we discussed. Join me next time when we speak to artist Masinisa Samani about his absurd drawings and interest in Algeria's socialist past. This has been Artworlds with me, Dr. Cleo Roberts-Comoredi. See you on the next journey.